you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's already August. Leo season, y'all. And yup. Actors and writers are still on strike. And the industry is starting to feel the pinch. Folks from the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild of America are enduring the heat to hit the picket lines in droves. We're responsible for the biggest box office movies in the last 20 years and we're not getting our fair share. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. And the economic impacts are pretty broad-reaching. This work stoppage is starting to have serious ripple effects. Hollywood has always been a company town. When Hollywood is at a standstill, it affects everything. So here on How to LA, we're going to keep bringing you different perspectives. We've talked about the implications of artificial intelligence and the creative work in Hollywood. And then last week, we spoke to actor Sarah Ramos about self-tapes, streaming residuals, and other issues folks face in the industry. You can't brag about your 100 millionth subscriber and then go, oh, but we really can't give you a very modest pay increase. But today... The invention of television has made it possible to communicate through a combination of sights and sounds. We're going back to 1960. Overcome the ancient barriers of time and distance. Of course, we know the 60s as a time of great discontent with a patriarchal, racist, sexist, white-collar man who was controlling everything, and it was no different in Hollywood. I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. 1960, if you didn't know, was the last time both unions walked off the job. What we were dealing with were some very difficult problems, difficult to both groups. Ronald Reagan is the head of SAG. Well, a fellow would like to get everything he asked for anytime he walks in and asks for a raise. The big issue is residuals. Studios are making bank, selling film rights to this new thing called television. The whole new era of communication. And the people actually making the stuff, the writers and the performers, aren't making a penny from those deals. Sound familiar? They're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. Today, residuals are again at the center of negotiations between SAG and the studios. And again, they're fighting about these emerging technologies. It's almost exactly parallel in a lot of ways to television in the 1950s. But instead of the new and wonderful technology of color TV, this time it's streaming and AI. So we thought it'd be worth looking back at how that TV stuff got sorted out. In any negotiations, you give a little and you, and you get a little. And how that strike? The end result is satisfactory and we believe fair to all of us. Might inform the one happening today. Our favorite L.A. historian has been writing about all that drama. Hi, my name is Hadley Mears and I'm a contributor to LAist. So we invited her to chat. 
Hey, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, you know, you write a lot about history. I don't know much about the 1960s. Can you give us the scene of how Hollywood was? You know, can you tell us a bit more about that era? Well, of course. I mean, the late 50s, early 60s in Hollywood were a time of enormous change, especially in the entertainment industry. You really saw the giant studios kind of totally falling apart that it started after World War II in place of a lot of super producers and mega conglomerates. And it was just a very different scene. And a great deal of the reason for that, of course, was the rise of television, which throughout the 50s had really disrupted everything about the entertainment industry. The people who were in charge of the studios were making an enormous amount of money by licensing movies to television and make the best of this bad situation, which was that television was really, really hurting movie business. But that meant all the performers and all the writers who had created these movies, who had worked hard, whose faces were seen on these little screens, weren't making any money while the studios were making so, so much money. 1960 is when this whole battle throughout the 1950s really came to a head. And so 1960 is this huge year for entertainment, right? As you pointed out, the actors and the writers both go on strike at the same time. Can you give us kind of like the timeline of when the strikes were called and when they were ended? Absolutely. So the strike is officially called for the WGA in January. And a month later, SAG votes to strike. They officially go on strike on March 7th. There's all these funny stories about movie production scrambling to finish filming before the deadline of when the strike was going to start. You know, working nights, working on weekends just to try and get to deadline because they knew they'd have to strike on March 7th. The SAG strike only really lasts a month. It ends in April, so it's quite successful in quite a short amount of time. And then the writers strike until June, and they also get a lot of benefits from the strike. So overall, from the workers' perspective, from someone like me, who's a pro-union advocate, it's an enormous success on paper, even though if you get into the details of the deals, it actually really screwed a lot of people. But overall, it was successful, you know, and I think you've got to look at it in terms of gains versus losses. This was a big step forward, and it's something that we can look at in the current situation we're in today and see, yeah, when you do stick to your guns, when you do collectively organize, you can make your working conditions better for you and the people after you. Let's talk about why folks striked at that moment, right? A lot of these issues are around fair pay. And these issues have been going on for decades, and it kind of feels like people are still fighting this to this day. What was the money situation back then with how and when actors got paid? Like, what was the issue there? The issue was really the fact that technology was advancing so fast And the studios were catching up and reaping the benefits, but they weren't bringing their workers along with them. And so actors are sitting there at home at night, seeing their face on TV all the time and wondering, 
Wait, so I've been licensed off my image and my work. I'm not getting any money, but I know the fat cat who lives next door to me or in the house above the hill is making money. So all through the 50s, there's this simmering tension about this. The 50s is also when there's this whole generation of a lot of people in the acting and writing business getting older, and they needed health care. They needed pensions, and that was also not being adequately given to them. The 1950s was a time when SAG and W. J. repeatedly are going to the table with the producers, trying to get residuals, trying to get real health care. And they just keep getting rebuffed left and right. And all sorts of crazy tactics were used. One of the producers started crying. <laughs> you don't understand. This will bankrupt us, you know. And which doing, could have been a lie. Which was probably a lie. I'm sure it was. And, you know, leaking stories about, oh, well, we've got like over 100 movies in the can, so we don't even care if you strike. And it's so interesting because you see a lot of these tactics being used today in the current battle. You know, you see them allegedly cutting down the trees where the protesters walk. Stories leaking of them saying, well, we want all the writers to lose their homes before, you know, we end the strike. So it's these intimidation tactics that have been used against unions since unions began. I want to go into a point you made earlier that the strikes of 1960, um, a lot of it had to do with the new technology. That was a TV. And that's a while to think about like the TV was a new thing, right? right? And the distribution of content on TV. Part of the conversation here to this day is streaming as well, right? And right now we're talking about AI. And, you know, one of the headlines I read this week was Netflix had posted a job that could earn someone up to $900,000 to be a a manager of AI. People were gasping about that because here goes a strike happening where they're not paying, you know, talent and um, writers fair wages. And, and here is a high paying job, right? What do you think about that as we see like the parallels here from the 1960 strikes and to where we at now? It's really, I think it's really sad because, you know, that job, that's $900,000. That one person might make $900,000, but tens or twenties or thousands of people might go completely out of work and their job will be obsolete because of that one person making all that money, right? And so that's what you're really seeing today is that these studios, you know, are finding ways to employ less and less creatives. And, you know, that's a thing they were doing in the 50s with TV too, right? They were using this technology to basically use a person over and over again for one wage. And AI and computers and the internet and streaming and all of that is the perfect way to basically reuse someone over and over and rip them of their personhood. You know, what's old is new again. It's the same old story. All right, Hadley, I have more questions for you, but we'll get to them right after the break. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Pindarvis Harshaw, host of the Right Nowish podcast. Every week, I talk to the people who are creating art and culture and spreading it to the universe. As an artist, you always meet yourself. Every year, you're a different person. Essentially, we normalize a space where you can show up as your authentic self. Check out Right Nowish. Rooted in California's Bay Area, speaking to you. It's so many people of color, so many queer people. It's like I'm being celebrated in my fullness. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. 
This is clearly an NPR audience. <laughs> yeah. I think they're so smart. Just, what the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. And we're back. You're listening to How to LA, and I'm sitting here with Hallie Mears. Talking about figureheads and people at play that have kind of like a greater power over certain things, whether they be a CEO or maybe the head of SAG. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ronald Reagan and mm-hmm. how he kind of played a controversial role in the strikes and also the agreement that happened afterward. Walk us through that. Sure. So Ronald Reagan had been a kind of B-level, C-level leading man for uh, many years. He was pretty famous, you know, by the 1940s, but he wasn't, sorry, my my political bias is showing. <laughs> he was a very middling uh, but well-known actor. And he had always been interested in politics, and he was actually a president of SAG in the 1940s and early 50s, and he was known as a Democrat which is shocking when you think about it today. And he was rather progressive. And a lot of the blacklist stuff and the communist witch hunt really started to kind of change him. And by the 60s, he's becoming pretty conservative. And in 1959, according to some reports, SAG really begged him to come back as president to deal with this residuals mess and to really kind of spearhead the effort. A lot of people didn't think he was the right person to lead SAG because he was a producer as well. And he Mm. had affiliations with some really giant corporations and entertainment figures. But he came back and he was the president at the time the strike was called. He was very supportive of the strike. And so he went head to head and negotiated with the producers, you know, and he made some quip later on that that dealing with Hollywood big guys was much harder than dealing with Gorbachev, right? Mm. That Russia was nothing compared to Hollywood folks. I think it's also important to note a lot of people weren't happy with him and the deal he brokered. The deal did get residuals for actors, which was a huge gain, but it only started in 1960. So that meant from 1964, you would get residuals for motion pictures. Now, this upset so many people because a lot of them, they saw their movies, like we said, playing on TV all the time. And you had a lot of people who had been these huge stars. Bob Hope said, I see my movies playing on TV. I know they're all over the world. Who's getting the money? I'm not getting the money. Mickey Rooney, the child actor, said basically just like very bluntly, SAG screwed us and I'm mad about it. They felt that Reagan had sold them up the creek because he didn't want to piss off the producers too much, right? He, you know, he was he was into them. He liked them. He was a producer and he didn't have their best interest at heart. So the residuals battle was won, but at a cost for a lot of older actors and actors whose success had been before. It is a success story. It is a story that people striking today can look at and say, there's an example of something that worked and they were able to take a piece of the pie in the technological advances. But it's also a cautionary tale that you don't always get everything you want, no matter how hard you fight. Obviously, these strikes don't appear in a vacuum. You know, there's a whole country's worth of 
other labor issues, political issues. Are you seeing similarities in the social political climate of the 60s to now? I mean, I think there's been a lot of parallels to the 1960s for a long time in terms of people just being fed up with all of the prejudice in the world, all the inequality in the world, a lot of the hate and the worshiping of a false past. Uh, Of course, we have a lot of advances on our side in terms of representation of women and non-white people and LGBTQI plus people, but we also have additional challenges as well. Every generation meets their own challenges, but still continues to fight for a better America. I'm curious to know, just from my perspective, um, what would you tell someone as history sort of not really repeats itself? I mean, you researched the strikes of 1960. What would you tell them? I would say 1960 shows us you can make gains and you can make a difference. And that collective action and collective bargaining really does work. You can't get everything you deserve, probably, but you can really make a difference and you can really inspire people and make your working conditions better. I think today the studios are just as vicious and just as angry and just as powerful, but there's a lot of new tools that people striking can use to win the war, right? And it is a war. It's just a peaceful war. And uh, I also hope it stays that way, too. There was a strike in 1945 of a union called CSU in Hollywood that ended up being very violent and very scary. And so I've just loved, you know, I'm a member of SAG, so I've loved going out to strike with people, and it's so peaceful and it's so happy. And yes, people are hot, they're exhausted, but there's such a feeling of camaraderie. And, you know, I think that's also important, too, remembering even in this spread out world where a lot of us work from home and there's so many different studios all over LA. This is a way to kind of take back our power as creators and say, no, we are a unit. It's, you know, one for all. And we're going to really fight together to make our lives and our families' lives better. That was Hadley Mears, a contributor for LAist. You can check out her article on laist.com slash howtola. We'll have a link on our show notes. Next week, we'll be visiting neighborhoods where there's a bunch of studios and check out what residents are seeing and feeling during the strikes. Thanks for listening. And if you love this podcast, please share it with a friend. Who knows? It might help them love LA a little bit more. This episode was produced by Evan Jacoby. Our other producers are Monica Bushman, Mangan Botel, and Victoria Alejandro. And I'm your host, Brian De Los Santos. See you next time. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.